Praise God. What a good reminder for us as we open up his word now to listen to God speak to us through his word. We've been in this series through the book of Ephesians. This morning we're entering into our, uh, our, our 29th sermon uh, in this series. And God has been kind to us each step of the way to speak to us, to teach us, to grow us, to sharpen us, to challenge us through Ephesians chapter 3. So far in this book, we've learned a lot from the brother, Pastor Apostle Paul. Um, He kicks off chapter 3 talking about the stewardship that he's been given, uh, the grace that God's placed on his life to then minister that grace and share his story. He's talked about the church a whole lot and how the eternal purpose of God is on display through what we're doing here now. That, that God's eternal purpose from the beginning of time was that we would be able to do this right now and then one day do it in eternity. The text says that the mystery of God, the mystery of God is now revealed through his church. That angels and demons are in awe of what we're doing here together. And how it's a manifold wisdom. It's a, it's a many-colored wisdom. It's a many-cultured wisdom of God that's on display through his bride and body called the church. And now we see, as we get ready to go into our text for today, that Paul moves from writing to the church to now praying for the church. And I believe that we're going to learn much about how to pray rightly uh, from the Apostle Paul and maybe even get a model for prayer as well. So would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19? Ephesians chapter 3 is where we'll be looking this morning, uh, verses 14 through 19, and uh, I believe that God is going to speak to us through it. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry to eat from this word this morning, say let's eat. eat. Come on, let's pray. God, I pray that before we eat this word right now, before we get filled up with your word right now, Lord, would you calm and quiet our hearts and get us into a posture of receiving, of listening. Jesus, you change everything. So change us right now in your presence. God, we don't need to hear another message from a man. God, we need to hear a message from God through a man. So Lord, speak. Would you just join me with that prayer right now? Just say, Father, speak to me. That's it, God. Nothing more. Nothing less, just speak to us right now, God, as we unfold and open your word in Ephesians 3. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 19, Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Everybody say, strengthen me. Right? Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with with the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I believe that prayer can be transferred to Walk Church as well. I want to preach a message to you today that I'm titling, The Prayer That Strengthens the Church. 
the prayer that strengthens the church. As I was studying for this message, I was amazed that while we're getting ready to do this big strengthen event, we just so happen to be on this prayer, the prayer that strengthens the church. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, we'll just go ahead and walk through these passages kind of word for word. Paul kicks it off by saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason. It's an interesting phrase, for this reason. It's actually the same words that Paul used when he opened up the chapter in verse 1, for this reason. Now, maybe you forgot what the reason was. I just kind of gave you a picture of it, but if we look back just a a, a few verses, Ephesians 3.10 said, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that Paul's saying, it's for this reason. The church is so important. The church is plan A, and there's no plan B. That's why what we're doing here today, that's why I'm glad you're here, because you're, you're getting in on God's mystery. You're getting in on God's revelation that's happening through his church, and Paul's writing about it. But now he goes on to here to, to, to pray for the church. So he says, it's for this reason Something interesting that I noticed here as I looked back at verse 1 and how verse 1 started out with this same language, I recognized that, 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 that Paul, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then you see a dash. Do you guys see the dash right here? And, and then he goes and he puts this word assuming, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So what many scholars believe, and I'm starting to see it now, is that Paul was getting ready to pray for the Ephesians, and then he got sidetracked. Does that happen to anybody where you're like, you know what, I'm going to start out my day with prayer. I'm going to carve out this moment. I'm going to say, all right, God, I, I, I just want to lift my heart up to you right now, Lord. And then your phone goes off or you get an idea in your head and then you get distracted. And then some of y'all just end up back asleep in the bed, right? <laughs> but, but some of you just go, go and then you're like, oh, what was I doing again? I think that's what happened to Paul here. He goes, for this reason, I, Paul, check out how the NLT translation says it. It says, he goes, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then he gives three dots, dot, dot, dot. He's like, hold up. Assuming, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. And check this out, church. And then 13 verses later, we finally get back to what Paul was doing. So Paul got on a sidetrack. He wrote all about the mystery, which is the church. He wrote all about the grace that was given to him to share this message. He wrote all about the gospel that saves us. And then he goes, all right, now where was I again? Verse 14. Here we are, right? He goes, for this reason, now I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I want you to just see really quick the posture of Paul, this praying pastor, that he says, for this reason declaring who you are, church. I now want to bow my knees. Now, maybe today, if you're one of those special spiritual people that like to just pray on your knees because you just reverent God and you're just so good, so I just always on my knees praying, then this may not be really impressive to you, uh, but this is impressive toward us, and it should be because Paul is very intentional when he writes out these details that I bow my knee before the Father. Tony Marita in his commentary says it like this. He says, whenever someone is kneeling in prayer in the Bible, he's indicating deep humility and deep emotion 
before God. John Stott in his commentary gives us a little bit more picture into this text. He says, the normal posture for prayer among the Jews was standing. In Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican, both men stood to pray. So kneeling was unusual. It indicated an exceptional degree of earnestness. As when Ezra confessed Israel's sins of penitence, Jesus fell on his face to the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. Stephen faced the ordeal of martyrdom. He goes on to say, Scripture lays down no rule about the posture we should adopt when we pray. It's possible to pray kneeling, standing, sitting, walking, or even lying Although John Stott, he goes on to say that he would discourage you from praying while you're lying just because that's an easy way to pray yourself to sleep. Amen? Right? And, and, and we want to be locked in when we pray. And we see here that Paul begins his prayer before he ever says a word in humility by bowing his knee. In other words, he's saying, I'm taking my prayer serious. I'm not rushing into my prayer. I'm not just shooting off a shotgun prayer. I'm not approaching God like he's my homie. I'm not approaching God really casually. I'm bowing my knee, and I'm going before God in a spirit of humility, and he begins to pray. David got this. King David in the Psalms, he writes it like this. He says, says, oh, come, walk, church. Come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he's our God. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, walk family, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's a prophetic word from the Psalm of David. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart up and say, no, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to listen. But soften your heart in a spirit of humility, and let God speak to you today. As we look in our text in Ephesians 3, he says it like this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So we move from the posture of Paul's prayer to now the who he's praying to. I think it's neat for us to see this really quick before we jump into the meat of his prayer, that Paul says, I'm praying to the Father. Now, now Paul could say, I'm praying to God. He could say, I'm praying to the King of Kings. He could say, I'm praying before the Lord of Lords. He could say, I'm praying before Yahweh. But notice he says, I'm praying before the Father. In other words, I'm a child bringing this to my dad. Amen? I'm I'm, I'm bringing my prayer with a humble heart to God the Father himself. And I believe he's going to listen to me. He goes on to give a description of his father. The one whom every family in heaven on earth is named. This shows God's authoritative, sovereign power. That God has family in heaven. That God has family on earth. And not only that, he's naming them. He's given description toward his family. If you ever get a chance, now this is a challenge here, but if you ever read the book of Revelation, it's a crazy book. But it's an awesome book. It's an exciting book in the Bible. And you can see all these types of different descriptives in Revelation. You see angels, you see even animals, you see these different types of characters in the scriptures. Some of y'all are like, there's an animal in heaven? Jesus came back on a white horse. That horse had to come from somewhere, right? Like, I'm, I, that, that horse is coming down, right? But we see that Jesus, the Father, is, is naming 
things in heaven and on earth, his families here on earth. And names often describe identity. And I believe that this text just tells us that, that Paul is giving us a model of what to pray and how to pray by giving us a description of who God is. So here, here would be my first three little mini points, all right? Just some sub points, and we're going to go into our, our main points, but just some, some mini points really quick. When you pray, all right, first off, pray with humility, okay? Whether that's getting on your knees or just stopping what you're doing to humble yourself. As we look at the Ephesians 3 text, I want, to, I want you to see it really quick. Just go back just to just one verse. He says, For this reason I bow my knees, humility, before the Father, address God as Father. And then give a, give a characteristic. You know who did this well? Jesus, right? Do you guys know the Lord's Prayer? If not, you should look it up. You can find it in Luke chapter 11 or Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, Our Father, right, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word, the word hallowed just means set apart. I'm giving glory to God's name. Set apart. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Leave a description of who God is. God our Father, who blessed us with a lot of food on Thanksgiving. God our Father, who, who woke me up this morning. God our Father, who, who is in heaven and with me right now. God our Father, who, who made the birds come alive and even sent one to church this morning. Amen? God our Father, right, who, who's so good. Don't just go right into your need. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. God is not a genie. And he's not an ATM machine. Go, God, our Father, who's just so good. You changed everything. You woke us up. You helped us go to sleep. You've provided something for us today. Now I'm just going to enter into my prayer. It's a good way for us to pray. Now, Paul prays four specific things for the Ephesians. I want us to look at all four of these. Um, just briefly, we'll hit each point. And then we'll be done with our service today. The first thing that Paul prays for the church is he prays for supernatural strength. Paul says, I'm bowing my knee before the Father. I'm praying for supernatural strength. Look at it with me in verse 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And then he goes right here and he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, in your inner being. Strengthened with power, through his spirit, in your inner being. According to the riches of his glory. Notice what it says. It doesn't say that it's out of his riches, but according to his riches. So think about it like this. Think about a rich man, maybe a multi-million dollar man, all right? If, say, he gives to a charity 50 to 100 bucks, that right there would be giving out of his riches, but to give according to your riches is to give at a level that shows off how much you have. So let's say that person then says, you know what, I'm going to give a couple hundred thousand dollars according to the riches that I have. Paul says, I'm praying that the Ephesian church, I'm praying that Walk Church would experience the strength of God according to his glory. According to the strength that he has. That God wouldn't just give us a little bit out of what he has. He would give according to how much he has. Do you guys know how much God has? Do you know that God breathes out stars? Do you know that God formed this world, this universe? He, he made it and named it. This is a big, big God, amen? We're talking about God, amen? Right? When you go to him, go with a humble heart. 
Call him Father and say, God, according to everything that you have, would you now even strengthen little old me? Would you even listen to me? And then according to your strength, strengthen me. But notice, he doesn't say strengthen me on the outward, but on the inward. He says, uh, for your glory, he, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Everybody say power. Power through his spirit in your inner being. Some of your translations may say in your inner man. That the, the inner person in us, the Christ in us, that he would strengthen us in our inner man according to his power. F.F. Bruce in his commentary says, because his resources are inexhaustible, he cannot be impoverished by sharing them with his children. Give us according to your power, God, your inexhaustible power, Strengthen us according to that power in our inner being. How many of you guys know that this body that we're all living in is just a shell? Some of our older folks in the room are like, "Mm mm-hmm. Preach it, pastor, right? It's just a shell and it's fading away. Hair's falling out. Muscles are weakening. The apostle Paul knew this all too well because he wrote about himself. He said, man... He said, I'm a frail person with a big nose, and people like to make fun of me. He goes, but guess what? It's not about my outward appearance. It's about my inward person being strengthened. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Let me ask you something. Is that you? Is, Is your inward person the spiritual inward person continuing to be strengthened where you're like, man, I just feel stronger today than I was yesterday. That my body is getting weaker, but spiritually I'm getting stronger. That, you know what? I'm not the person who I once was in the weight room, but man, spiritually I feel more renewed than ever. God strengthened me in my inward being. Think about it like a car. Would you rather have a car that was decked out, beautiful, amazing, spotless, and you opened the hood and it had a terrible, broken engine? Or would you have a dirty, busted up car and you open the hood and you see a whole horsepower, fired up, wrong engine? What would you rather have? I want the car that's going to take me somewhere, amen? I don't care what it looks like. I'm just trying to go somewhere. I want power on my life. I don't want to just look good on the outside and be terrible on the inside. Paul says, Lord, strengthen me according to your riches in my inner being. That's the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And that's the prayer that I'm praying for us. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be a church that looks good on the outside. But I pray that we would have a church that's filled with strength in the inner man, in the inner being. That's the prayer that Paul prayed. That's the prayer that we see throughout the scriptures. Nehemiah in this incredible book, prays a similar prayer as he's out on the wall. Maybe you've, uh, if you've never read Nehemiah, I would encourage it to you. Nehemiah, he's sent on this mission to build this wall. Picture him, he's on this wall, right? And, and he's, he's got one hand with a, with a hammer in it. He's got another hand with a sword. He's fighting. And here's what he says. He said, they all wanted to frighten us, the enemies, thinking their hands will drop from the work. It'll be done. And he says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. I've found myself recently praying Nehemiah's prayer. When you go home today, before you get in the house, say, Lord, strengthen me according to your power. Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my feet. 
don't strengthen the bird, <laughs> right? Um, well, unless he needs, strengthen my heart, strengthen my mind. Nehemiah gets it. He says, Lord, strengthen me. Lord, strengthen me. And that's a prayer that I would submit to you to pray. Lord, strengthen me. Paul's praying that prayer. Samson, we see in the Bible, in the book of Judges. He was a messed up person. If you're a messed up person in the room today, you can relate to Samson, all right? Samson had all types of struggle and issue, but he had faith. And on his last day of his life, he was all tied up and chained up, and he prayed a prayer. You know what his prayer was? Lord, strengthen me one more time. Just get, God, if you got anything left, according to your riches, you pray that prayer, God always has something left. He always has strength to give to his church, praying for that supernatural strength, my friends, is what we're called to do. He continues in his prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 17. He says, through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is the second prayer that Paul gives us. The second prayer that Paul gives us is this, that we would not only have supernatural strength, but we would have unconditional love. Paul prays that the Ephesians church would be filled with unconditional love and would be rooted in love and founded upon love and would walk in love and would be a church that's described by love. Look at verse 17. It says it like this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is an important prayer right here that I would pray for you guys as well and myself. The heart is everything. The heart. Proverbs chapter 4 says that the heart is the wellspring of life. The heart is the nucleus. Everything flows out of the heart. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but the heart has two million brain cells in it. That's, that's, that's bizarre, right? So even in the scriptures when it says that the thoughts of your heart, like your heart could think, because the heart and the mind are related. The heart and the body are related. And here's what Jesus says. I want to come up into your life, and I want to take control of your heart. I want to be the king of of your heart. I want to be the king of your life. Have any of you guys ever seen maybe like a movie, like a kid's movie or like a Power Rangers type movie and you got these big old robotic things and then some, at some point there's like a little opening and then there's like this little person controlling it, right? Right? Like, like Jesus is saying like, hey, I'm trying to get you out of the way so I can control you. I can be Christ through you. Let me just tell you this really quick. This is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a little scary, all right? I just, don't be scared, okay? Don't be scared. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be scared. All right? Listen. If, if you don't want to live your life with Jesus telling you what to do and what to say and what to watch and who to be, then don't be a Christian. You're going to have a miserable life because Jesus... I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts. He would start controlling stuff. He would start changing us. And people would be like, what is that about you? Like, who's in there? That's Jesus in there. I know, it's no longer. I, look, being rooted and grounded in love. Like, yo, Hayden, you can't love that person. I totally couldn't. That's why I need him in me. He's loving them through me. I couldn't do that. I couldn't be strengthened to do that. I know it's his strength through me, his love through me. I'm, I got roots that go deep down into my dead heart now is alive because it's made alive by Jesus. 
And Paul's praying that our hearts would be filled with Christ, filled with the love of Christ. Amen? That's my prayer for you, Walk Church, that you would be strengthened in your inner being and your hearts would be filled with his love, rooted, rooted, which means dug deep, and then founded, a foundation, grounded in his love. And Jesus would do that in you. J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary on this, he says it like this. Watch this. Christ has not come as a temporary visitor. Amen? No amen. No amens there. He, he has come as a, come on, help me. He has come as a permanent tenant by means of the Spirit to live in our lives. Like, if you don't want Jesus in, then, then, then just reject him, and that'll be on you. I would say that's a bad choice. But if you invite him in, he's coming in. And he's coming in full, and he's not like a visitor to just hang around temporarily and watch you do your thing and make your life better. He's not an addition. He's the whole thing. He comes in, and he takes over, and he starts to change stuff. And here's what he does. He changes you from the inside out. It doesn't work the other way. It doesn't change from the outside in. Jesus in us, through us. Paul says, that's the hope of glory, Christ in me. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now, I, I still live in the flesh. You can feel my flesh. You can see me. But really, this is temporary. The life I now live is by faith in, in, in the God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's not a temporary visitor. He's the whole thing. And I want to encourage you to recognize who he is. And I'm praying that you would get that and that you would see that. And he would live his life in you and through you. He prays for unconditional love. As we look back at verse 17, this word love is an important word. This word right here. Now, you, you, you may have heard these three different types of love before, but they're, they're good refreshers. There's three different loves in the Bible. There is phileo love, which is brotherly love. So some translate, so, so in some places in the Bible, you'll see this person loved them, and it will be the Greek word phileo, which is where we get the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Then there's eros love that's often used in the context and only in the context of marriage, which is where we get our English word erotica. It means sexual love, a different type of love that has a lot to do with feeling and emotion and romance. The eros love, biblically, is reserved for the covenant in context of marriage. So don't give your eros to anybody that's not your spouse. I'm just throwing that out there, all right? That's a challenge. That's sticky, but that's the word, all right? And that'll save you a whole lot of heartache. Now, the third love is phileo love, brotherly love. You're my bro. I love you, bro. Yeah, bro. Cool, bro. Then there's the eros love, that's for the spouse. And then there's the agape love. This right here being rooted and grounded in agape. Agape love, by definition, means unconditional. In other words, you don't put conditions on your love. My wife and I, we have had the privilege of doing premarital counseling and postmarital counseling with a lot of couples since we planted our church. It's one of the joys of ministry that we get to do. But sometimes we hear this word, man, I just fell out of love with her. And what that means, or I fell out of love with him, what that means is that you put conditions on your love. And, and the type of love that God is talking about 
is unconditional love. And he's saying that I hope that the church would recognize agape, unconditional love from God. That we would be rooted and grounded in his love that is unconditional, undeserved, unreserved, and is right here on display for us. The definition for agape that I looked up says a a choice. It says endures, trusts, is patient, is not a feeling, but is faithful. These are the different definitions for agape. So here's what I want you to hear. In John 3.16, which says, For God so agaped the world, put your name in that place where it says world. So it says, For God so agaped Teresa. God so agaped Teddy. God so agaped Kayla. God so agaped Kathy. God so agaped you. What that means is he's so unconditionally, he didn't put conditions on his love towards you. So even if you reject his love and you walk out of here, he's still going to love you. You're better off receiving it than rejecting it, but it doesn't change who he is. He says, I'm praying that Walk Church would recognize how much love that he has for you and that you would begin to have that love for each other. When you have that agape love toward one another, so even if there's differences on preference, even if there's differences on culture, even if there's differences on things you like or dislike, you love each other regardless. That's the mystery revealed in the church, in the gospel. That's what he's praying. So the first one is supernatural strength. The second one is unconditional love. The third one is spiritual understanding. He prays for spiritual understanding. Paul is praying that we would understand spiritual things. What, he's, what, what we're talking about today is spiritual, isn't it? We're talking about Christ in us. We're talking about a, a love that goes beyond our human ability. Paul's saying, man, I just pray that they'll understand this reality. Let's keep on reading. He says here, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. Comprehension is so big. The word comprehend by definition just means the ability to understand. I'll give you a definition for it just so you can know what we're talking about when we say comprehend. Comprehend means to grasp mentally. Paul wants you to grasp this reality, church. You gotta, you gotta grasp it. You gotta catch it and understand it and download it into your heart. Don't let this just be, don't let this just stick to you, but let it penetrate to your heart. And here's what it is. If you're ready, say ready. That you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Who's all the saints? Look at the person next to you and say you. On the other side too and say you too. Even the person behind you and say you too. All right? If you're watching this online, you too, all right, that, that we would all comprehend, listen, church family, that we would all comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Maybe sometimes you feel this way. Maybe, hopefully, I'm not the only one that sometimes just feels like God's love ran out, like I just messed up again. I blew it again. I've fallen short again. How could he still love me? God, 
God doesn't love me, man. Right? And Paul's saying, look, his love surpasses your own knowledge. You may not understand it. You may not get it. But I'm praying, he says, that you would comprehend, you would understand the breadth. The breadth means the distance from side to side. The length, that means from one end to the other end. The height, that means from the the head all the way down to the foot. The depth, that means from the very top all the way to the very bottom. He's saying, I'm praying that you would comprehend how deep the Father's love is for us. I mean, it is deep, isn't it? Deep enough that nails would be pierced in his hands and his feet, that Jesus would be on a cross. He would go into the grave. He would blast out of the grave and show you how much he loves you. And maybe he's done specific things in your life that demonstrate his love towards you. The point is, man, God loves you deeply. And I I pray that you would comprehend that with the Apostle Paul. The last point that we see in the scriptures here of this prayer is that Paul prays for a divine filling, a divine filling. So these are the four points of Paul's prayer. He prays for supernatural strength for the church. He prays that the church will be filled with unconditional love. He prays that the church will be filled with spiritual understanding. He prays that the church would have a divine filling. When we think about filling, The definition for this Greek word filling is to be completely full, to supply, to go over and above, to abound. Let me ask you this. Did anybody feel this way on Thursday? (laughs) After you ate your second plate, your third plate, your first plate, just because you threw everything you could possibly throw on it. That's what I always do. I always do that, and I'm just like, dang it, too much. (laughs) I remember on on, on Thursday um, that that I was sitting there, and someone was talking to me, and I was on this couch, and I was just in like, in like a daze. And someone was like, yo, Hayden, Hayden. And I just said, my bad, I'm just so full. <laughs> I, I would love to see our church be like that. Like, people would be like, yo. And you just, man, I'm just so full of God right now. I'm just so filled up on him. Look at Paul's prayer, the last verse in verse 19. Here's Paul's prayer. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That it would be all of God in all of you. Everything that God has would be in you. That you would be full of him. That you would be full of his love. You'd be full of his strength. You'd be full of his wisdom. You'd be full of his power. You'd be full of him and that you would bring that type of fullness into this world. People will begin to see Christ through you because you're full of him, living his life in you and through you. That's, my friends, how deep the Father's love is for us. I'm going to ask Jason, our worship leader, to come up here and just close us out with a word, uh, uh, with a song of reflection. Um, He's going to close us in this song. This will just be a time to reflect on... uh, the power and the love of Christ. But before he sings, I just want to pray these verses over us today. Can we do that?